Hello, everyone, and welcome to this edition of the Exceptional Advice Show. I'm Baz Gardner. I am the one with the hair. <laughs> I wondered how you'd respond to that, <laughs> to that intro. So what are we talking about today, Tristan? Um, today, we're going to just pick a topic and see where it goes. We haven't exactly planned as much for this one as we have for the other ones. Unplanned. <gasps> You're giving away our secrets. <laughs> um... Yeah, today so, so what is our unplanned episode about? Um, I don't know. We you can't plan, remember. You so forgot. Not, you've forgotten how anything. You? No. Um, today is all about. Do you want to take it? Yeah. So he doesn't know. I'm just testing you. So right. You know. Okay. We're talking about getting paid first before you start work. Yeah. So that's the topic of conversation for today. Um. So, so why is it? Why is it actually a topic of conversation? Why does it merit us sitting down and having a bit of a chin wag about? Um, well, I mean, a lot of people start work without getting paid. I mean, that's, that, that, that's the obvious answer. <laughs> that was a brilliant, <laughs> that was a brilliant answer. That is absolutely correct. You get top marks for that one. Um, look, it really comes down to it as being that simple. Um, in our experience, we see, especially across accounting, uh, financial planning businesses in particular, um, that a lot of a lot of advisors actually start working for clients before they've been paid. Right, um, but I'm going to extend the I'm going to extend the topic a little bit as well because a lot of practitioners now this is a especially egregious in egregious that's a good word for this <laughs> in the accounting space, right? So not only do they not get paid before they start work, they start work before they've actually agreed on a price, which, um, so you're getting the double whammy effect. Okay, so we encounter this stuff all of the time, right? As we're working our way through clients, client scenarios, engagement mechanisms with you know our, our clients who are fellow advisors, it's the stuff that we you know, pick up a lot. And it's kind of interesting, as well as a side note, when you first go through, you know, the interviewing qualification process where we're talking to advisors, you know, is this something you do? Oh, yeah, look, it happens, but, you know, not that often invariably. But then when we actually drill into all of the client scenarios, like, uh, actually, this is happening a lot. So um, if you're tuning into this and you're an accountant or financial advisor in particular, um, and by the way, I mean, these things still happen across law and, you know, business coaches, consultants and everyone as well. So I think it's an, a universally relevant topic of conversation, but f certainly far more pronounced in my experience in, in financial planning and then to an even greater extent in accounting. So what happens when a client's giving you an indicator you should go ahead? What do you reckon, Tristan? Um... So I'm assuming you've had your meeting, talked a little bit about it, um, and they've said, "Yep, you know that 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 sounds like what we're looking for. Sounds good. Let's let's do it." Is that kind of? Yeah, yep. pretty pretty much. Okay. So um, so then the advisor goes, "Okay, we'll start doing that." Yeah. Except they've just happened to have missed a whole piece of the sequence, which is well. Potentially first, you haven't agreed to how much it's going to be. 
So let's talk about that scenario as well, right? So we'll talk about the double compounding effect, right? So number one, you're not getting paid first. And number two, you haven't agreed to a price. So you start working. So if you're in a business where you typically work on an hourly basis, right? It's easy to take for granted. Well, the client knows your your billable hours, right? Yeah. So you've kind of obtusely given them you know, a statement of what the cost might be, except you haven't, right? So it's easy to think that way. So you work on a billable hours. So you haven't agreed to the price and you haven't got paid. So then you start work, right? Yep. Um, so then you get to the end of a project for a client, right? And now you look at the billable hours, right? Mm-hmm. And you've got no frame of reference for what the client actually expected where the cost was going to be, uh-huh. right? Secondly, you look at it and you're like, oh, crap, uh, there was a bit of a blowout, right? Maybe maybe you had one of your juniors wor- working on the file or, you know, doing something and they took a little bit longer to do research. Maybe they went down a, a particular avenue that you wouldn't necessarily have encouraged them to do. Maybe there was a bunch of complexities in the project or work that you weren't aware of when you first delved into it. So you're now at a point where you've got, at least in your mind, you've got a significant bill, right, that you've accrued for this project. And you're now left in your own head to try and figure out what's the client going to be happy paying? Mm. So what do you think, uh, well, not what do you think, what do we see professionals do when they get into this situation? What do they tend to do with the bills they're giving clients? Um, Well, I mean, most of the time you just discount it. Right, so, so it's not as much of a shock, and then you just like wear the loss essentially. So you get this magic thing called write-offs, right? <laughs> so I always think it's amusing that um, accounting firms, you know, are pretty happy if they get to. So they call it recovery. So they've got you know a billable hour rate, which, by the way, I'm not as I'm not as against as a lot of people, right? Um, in in the accounting space i think there is scope to actually record the work that you're doing for a job it does help you keep an eye on your cost of production and that's a valuable tool at the practice management end right and i think it's a valuable tool at the profitability end because it does help you understand where where the crossover exists if you've priced your jobs well and you understand your business so and all of that being said what happens is that a lot of accountants, right, whether it's partner, senior manager, whatever, um, are not having these conversations with clients. They start work for them, right? And because they haven't been paid anything, right, there's also a much greater risk of what. So you now got to the end and you've collected 50 grand in, in billable hours for a project for a client and then you've got to go and bill the client, right? So maybe you write off 20 grand of that. So there's absolutely an impetus when this happens to write down the value of work, right? So you write it down from 50 grand to 30 grand and this random example I'm making up. Is there a much greater chance that that client says, what? I get their bill for 30 grand. Wow. So maybe in that client said, they're like, shit, I only thought this was a five minute job and worst case scenario, it was going to cost me three grand, right? Depends what they thought in the first place. So what happens if the client's thinking, they were thinking three grand, then they get a bill for 30. What's, 
Is there a probability that client's going to say F you? Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, of course. So, in other words, you've got a much greater propensity to write down the bill you're actually issuing clients. And conversely, you also have a much higher probability that the, that you recover nothing. Mm-hmm. Okay. Does that sound like it makes any form of practical business sense to you, Tristan? Let me think. No. Okay. So, as I was saying, you've got the double whammy effect now of you haven't agreed to a price and you haven't got paid first. Okay. So, let's now switch up examples and we'll move over to financial planning as an example, right? So, one of the things financial planners tend to do that accountants don't is get their clients to agree to a price beforehand. Okay, it's not, this isn't universal. I'm making some pretty strong generalizations here, but this is what we t- typically see. So in other words, they may say to a client, okay, the cost for us to do, you know, initial strategy setup, so let's say it's a brand new client, might be, I don't know, $2,000 to do the financial plan. Maybe there's an implementation fee of $3,000, and then maybe our ongoing, you know, annual fee might be around $10,000. Again, I'm just making up numbers here, right? Sure. So typically they'll agree to that. But then what happens is they go ahead and start working, right? Mm -hmm. So they might start work on the plan. Well, how long might a plan take to do? A lot of variance. Um, I don't know, call it anywhere from a month to... Yeah. <laughs> no, I think that's pr- that's pretty good. Um, look, I think month is maximum turnaround you'd you'd mm-hmm. ideally want in a financial advice business. Um, oh, but I- ideally, ideally, yeah, ideally less. <laughs> but um, but not uncommon for it to be more like yeah. you know six weeks. And sometimes if a business is struggling, it might blow out to to two months. And of course, once you get to that point, it has other serious ramifications other in your, your client engagement. Um. So let's say it takes a while for a plan to get created, right? Mm -hmm. How long, therefore, if we talk about the time value of money as one point, right? So in other words, you've now done potentially six weeks of work without getting paid. Now, what's one of the things that can actually delay a financial plan getting done? The input of information, right? Yep. So you've started work, you've agreed to a price, but the client hasn't paid anything. So when the client hasn't physically forked over any dollars, do you think that reduces their impetus to get things done? Yeah, of course. It absolutely does, right? People take it a lot more seriously once they've actually expended some dollars. Once they spend dollars, they mm. feel a pressure to make things happen. Yeah, they're, they're invested. Yeah, I exactly. Mean, that's, a, yeah. <laughs> that's a very good point and good, and good use of terminology for yeah. the financial planning audience, right? So they become invested in the process. Not only that, if it takes two months before you get paid, then has the effective effective utility or value of that amount reduced because you haven't held on to those dollars. In other words, I'm saying there's a time effect value of money. Yes, yes. Right? So over that two months, you've been paying your team. You've been... Mm paying yourself you've been drawing dollars and paying your mortgage and whatever whatever else right 
So in other words, you have a disjointed time waiting of money. So you've spent the dollars but haven't recovered them yet. And you've heard the you've heard the analogy cash flow is king and it absolutely is in business. And your ability to control your cash flow will determine how much capacity you have to invest in things like service delivery. Um, yeah. So in other words, you don't get paid up front by a client. The impetus or turnaround time is reduced. I mean, it's lengthened, right? Yeah. So it's lengthened because you've got a client taking longer to do things because there's less impetus. You also have a reduced time weight of money. All right. Now, this this can be significantly more pronounced. So what if you then take two months to get the plan to a client because the client delayed some, right? So it's now finished and presented to a client and the client decides that they don't want to proceed now. Okay. Do you think there's a much higher probability that when you give them the invoice for the plan that you just did, that they don't want to pay it? Yeah, of course. Well, you just gave them the, <laughs> you gave them the value before, before you're asking them to pay it. Now, I get that if, you're, if you've got reasonable people that this doesn't happen all the time, but it certainly increases the probability for that to mm. take place. Which again doesn't make sense from a business, from a business operational point of view. Okay, so you then have a client decide not to go ahead. Well, let's say they go ahead, right? And you're now into the implementation phase. So I think I said there was like two grand for the plan and then three grand for implementation, right? Yep. So you get to work. And by the way, and there's ten thousand dollars for you know, your, your normal yearly ongoing engagement. Mm -hmm. All right. So I don't know what, let's say you're setting up a self-managed fund and because I don't know, there's, there's reasons for it to be self-managed fund. Maybe there's some real business property to come into play down the track or whatever. Right. So you're going through setting up a self-managed fund, you're doing rollovers, you're doing all this kind of stuff. How long might it take before your setup in that first year is, is actually complete? What do you reckon? What do you reckon the range could likely be? Um, so what we call the two months max for a plan, or in this example anyway. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Call it another, another one to two. Um, I was actually testing Tristan out on this. I'm I'm, I'm in a slightly different position of he gets to see financial planning clients, but hasn't operationally worked in financial planning where I where I have. Um, look, I mean, it depends how complex the strategy is, but it mm. could be anywhere up to six months. Okay. All right. So you've got multiple funds to roll over. Maybe there's some in-species contributions. Maybe you're, maybe you're selling down assets in a trust. I mean, there's a whole lot of variables that can take time to, to actually execute. And, uh, and again, same thing, the, the lesser clients paid, the less impetus mm. they have to, mm. to get things done. So that can increase the, the timeline. So you might have had now in this scenario that you're invoicing the client for the plan after you've delivered the plan. Mm -hmm. Maybe they take another two to four weeks to pay that. Yep. All right. Because, uh, I mean, you're not putting pressure on them. You're looking at getting the rest of their, their work here and they've kind of tacitly agreed to that. So why would you feel the, the pressure to 
you know, to, to ask them for the dollars. Um, and then you've got an engagement or sorry, an implementation fee, which I don't know, let's say in this example, it takes three months. All right. So again, you've got months where you've got the time lag between payments. Yeah. Not only that, you're now maybe four months into the whole engagement. Maybe you're three months, what do you say, an extra three months for implementation on top of the first month. So you're now four months into this process where you've actually done also four months worth of a normal engagement, mm -hmm. right? Not only the additional work. So by the time you then invoice them for the implementation fee and get paid for that, it might be five months down the track. And now you've got them to sign, you know, the authority to collect direct, direct debits or whatever from the self-managed fund or their own account or however you're balancing out where the fee's coming from. So in, in reality, what you've ended up doing is, and for argument's sake, let's say that took six months just so I can make it a 50% number and make the maths easier <laughs> for myself, yeah. right? So essentially then if your annual fee is 10 grand, you've essentially given the benefit of five months worth of that or 50%. Yep. So in other words, if you multiply this across the, you know, I don't know, however many new clients you take on in a year, you're in a position where you it'll take you 12 months just to catch up on a on a cash flow profitability perspective. Mm -hmm. Okay? So you're compromising your business, which means then your ability to deliver and execute to a client. It just doesn't make sense. So why would advisors choose to do this? Um, well, you tune into last episode. <laughs> um, I mean, it's just... It's, I want to say, I mean, it, it's not easier, but it feels easier because you don't It have feels to, easier. Yeah, you get to avoid all the, some <laughs> of the, the upfront conversations you have to have with people. Ah, so avoidance, right? Yeah. yeah, avoidance because, well, we've kind of got tacit agreement from a client. Well, we don't want to push things. We don't want to mm. be, we don't want to risk rejection. We don't want to have that uncomfortable, you know, the uncomfortableness of the conversation, etc. Yeah. So... You know, it comes down, it really just comes down to that. So, some of the excuses that I've heard are, well, I don't want to push it with a client because we might, what? Oh, you might push it too far and then they say no. Or oh, right, so we might lose them as a client. Or, or, oh, yeah. we don't want to damage the relationship. Well, I mean, that's just dishonest. It's disingenuous, mm. right? If you're there to advise your clients to do their best, the best around how they're operating, then it's disingenuous not to walk your own walk. It just doesn't make sense. So it's really just about being upfront with clients. So one thing that I repeat over and over and over to the advisors that I work with is never start work until you get paid. Okay, it's just that simple. And so whenever we construct agreements, we have a thing called a commencement payment. And I call it that for a reason. And I'm directly upfront with people. Hey, look, here's where we're at. Here's where you are. Here's where you want to be. Here's how, here's the next stage in how we're going to help you get there. And we'll talk about staging and sequencing of value and pricing of that at a different, you know, different point in time. But we always then say, so when you're ready to go ahead, let us know. 
and then when you make the first payment, it'll be official and then we'll start working for you. So we're always that explicit and that's what I'd suggest all advisors do. There is no reason for you to commence work without getting paid except your own trepidation. And in my experience, you know, we talked about this in, um, in one of our previous podcasts or is it previous or we post this one first, I'm not sure. Um, anyway, it's about client engagement. So when you're, when you're being less definitive with clients, then they're going to perceive less value. So it's just about being really definitive on, on fees and pricing and timing. The fee is the fee. The timing's the timing. And when you speak to a client about it this way and you speak to them directly and honestly, it actually gives them more peace, more ease. Right? It's clear. It's definitive. And when you are clear and definitive about your value and your price, then they actually perceive a higher value from you. So it's also equally important. So yes, I see financial advisors de- diminish the time weight of their engagement because of how they, how they sequence their pricing. And that can create a major hole in a business's overall cash flow and profitability and they don't even realize it. So in that particular scenario, I would, you know, for the initial plan, I would have, I would have had the client, well, firstly, I would have charged more than that, more likely, but I would have had the client pay, you know, 70% of that fee up front. And depending on the amount and timing and length of it will vary the, uh, the upfront component that we might have. So the benefit there is if you're doing it for a month, the time waiting of that value has gone back in your favor. And I would then at the end of that say to a client, do you want to proceed with the advice that we've given you? Okay, well, there's $3,000 in order for us to do that, but there's also $10,000 as an annual basis. So it's $3,000 on top of that. So what's going to happen is for us to proceed, we're going to proceed on the basis that we're engaging for the next 12 months. So what we're going to do is bill you 60% of that $3,000, right? And 40% on the initial setup, which will be these action items, self-managed super fund setup, in species, you know, rollovers completed, whatever. And we'll also need to set up for the ongoing monthly amount. Now, maybe you're going to have the monthly amount come out of the self-managed super fund. The self-managed super fund is not set up yet if you're billing that way. So I would simply say to a client, So because it's going to take a while for everything to be set up, what we're going to do is also bill you for that first six months. Okay. And once it's set up, we'll, we'll then have it come out monthly. You can decide to, you know, time weight the money, for example, 60% upfront and 40% at completion. But typically in that scenario, I would just say to the client, we're going to bill you for that five grand, um, now. Interestingly enough, how many clients say no to that when you're clear on it? Really, really, I've not been able to notice um, an appreciable difference between those who would have said yes under the other model to those that will say yes in this model. But what difference does it make to you? Vastly different. Okay. So there's two scenarios that we encounter all of the time. And just remember, it's your business, and and I, I say this to I say this to people a lot. Are you inviting clients to join your business, or are you joining theirs? 
And you need to ask yourself that question. And if your answer is they're joining our business, then if they're joining yours, then what's your terms? Right? So it's just about being honest. The fee is the fee, the timing's the timing, the price is the price. And when you are matter of fact and direct with clients about it, they will appreciate it and they generally won't question it. And if they do, stand your ground. Okay? If they're not going to agree to that, then they're not joining your business. It's just that simple. You can't afford to be giving away the time waiting of your money in order to compromise your business because a client wants you to do it their way. Now, let's talk about a couple of additional things there. Could there be exceptions to this rule, Tristan? Yeah, of course. Okay. So what what kind of exceptions might be okay? Um, I mean, in... In some cases, you've got you know you've you've got clients you're servicing that you know you you are doing a favor for. Okay, like it's okay sometimes where you make a personal value judgment on a particular scenario with a client where they've been honest with you and they've had a conversation about maybe their own cash flow issues or ability to time dollars. So where that's the case, then yeah, you can manage your business to a suitable exception but you shouldn't structure your business for the exceptions right so um that would be how i'd answer that because these are questions that we get quite a lot the second is well should i pay clients for the first sorry pay clients no you you should (laughs) yeah just for clarity no you shouldn't (laughs) pay clients for your own meetings um that wouldn't be a very successful business model but anyway should you charge clients for your first meeting? If if I'm saying to you, don't start work until you get paid, then where's the line get drawn, I think is the question. Mm-hmm. So do you have any thoughts on that one? I mean, again, I, 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 think, I think it depends. You've got to look at um, your, your time cost versus opportunity cost. Um, so, you know, some, some people aren't super excited about paying... I don't know what three hundred bucks for a first meeting, um, but they would be great clients for you. Um, some people are very happy to pay three hundred bucks for a first meeting and would not be great clients for you. Um, then you kind of get into well, how long should your first meeting be? Should you just give them a phone call? How do you qualify? What's actually your ideal client? It's a little bit of a rabbit hole. Um, I would say no. Per- at least personally, I wouldn't charge for my first meeting, but I also wouldn't make it a two-hour value kind of throw everything I've got at you and see what sticks sort of thing. So it's a little bit of a mid-ground. I thought I'd I'd ask you what opinion you Mm. formed on that one. Um, Look, I'm going to give my my summary perspective. It's going to depend on the demographics of your clients. Mm. But if you're looking to work with clients at a higher level where you're going to do a lot of one strategic work and secondly, there's there's a good basis for your interventional advice. Then in other words, the client has a much higher value and you have a potentially much higher value to them. The greater that is, the more time I'm willing to spend up front with someone making sure that this is the right fit. Okay? So if you're working with a demographic where the margins ongoing are going to be much lower... Um, or there's a higher probability of, you know, shorter-term engagements, etc. 
then I would probably consider charging, you know, from the get-go. And I know lots of businesses that, you know, charge for those first meetings, etc. That is typically not the kind of audience we've been getting for this show or, or the kind of advisors we would typically deal with. So it's that higher high value interventional advice. I mean, that's what exceptional advice is about. And if you're going to have the ability to go that deep with someone, then they need to be, they need to actually value it. And it's worth a hell of a lot of money to actually do that. So in that scenario, I would say to people quite often, quite often the, the great advisors that we work with and who are moving into exceptional, I'll be saying to them, you know what? You proposed a fee and an engagement way too soon. You didn't have enough detail. You didn't have enough context from them. So you weren't in a very strong position to be able to present that. And that's why you're encountering difficulties. You actually needed to have had some interventional conversations or you needed to have dug a lot deeper. So in other words, you know, if, if you've got a, a better prospective client, then you might spend two or three meetings before you're at the point of, okay, now we've really got context right. Now we've got the engagement right. And before we, this is where you are, this is where you want to be, and this is how we can help you get there. When you actually start to execute, that's the time. Whenever, when you start to actually move into doing the work and a plan rather than investigating whether this is an ideal engagement or not from both parties. So for me personally, I don't like to charge up to that point. Sometimes I can get there in one meeting, two meetings. Often it'll be three meetings. Now for me, I also want to know this is an ideal client. I want to know that they're capable of listening, that they're coachable, that we're aligned, that there's mutual resonance between us, that we're likely to have a great relationship going forward. So for me, I guess I'm really fussy, so I prefer to take a little bit longer. But don't picture this is the price if you're not act if you don't have enough context for it that would be my advice and if you have a client where you can't get enough context and you can't afford to because the value for that client isn't suitable well then maybe you need to consider a model where you charge from the start so that's how i would answer that and we get these questions quite you know quite a lot okay so the summary from today is don't actually start work with a client until you have agreed to a price and until you have actually got paid something and make it reasonable. And remember, when you're getting paid, you need it to be the time weight of the effect of that money in your favor. Not the client's favor, in your favor. You're running a business. You have to create margin for yourself in order to be able to deliver effectively to people. Okay. Now, if you're unsure of how to price or, or quote for the work that you're doing, that's another whole topic and a very big challenge for clients. So advisors often don't really understand how much scope there is. They kind of understand the value of the project, but don't know how big it is and therefore can't price it. And that's one of the reasons they start working on things right we'll talk about that in another episode but essentially that's about batching your value okay so i usually call it the clarity project so in that first stage sell the clarity first make sure you're getting paid for finding out how big the scope actually is okay so i'm going to leave it with that summary is there anything you'd like to add on for today 
No, no, I think that's good. We can definitely expand a little more on some of the particulars, but that's a, that's a good intro. Okay. Awesome, everyone. As always, love to know what you think. Are you getting paid before you start work from your clients? Have you experienced yourselves going through the, the, the period in business where you do this without getting paid? What was the cost to you and how did you overcome it? Love to hear all of those things. So please share with us and uh, until next time, take care.